0: Uh, One of the most memorable scenes in movie history comes from The Wizard of Oz. It's one that I know you know. I almost don't even need to describe it for you. But it's the part of the movie early on, right after Dorothy's house has been swept up in this violent tornado and then comes crashing back down to the ground, Dorothy scoops up Toto and opens the front door. Now, we all know this, that to that point in the movie, everything's been in black and white and sepia tones. But when the door opens, it opens up to a whole world of vibrant color. Dorothy is not in Kansas anymore. She's been transported to Oz with all its wonders. And from that moment on, nothing is the same. Nothing. Now, it's a stunning scene still today, 85 years later. I have to wonder what it would have felt like for those original audiences. 1939, can you even imagine being in the theater when that front door opened up to those who first saw it? Y'all, this is is kind of the feeling we get when we open up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend the next three weeks covering this one chapter, but I I just want to tell you up front, Acts chapter 2, it's kind of like opening a door to a new world. Because right here, we see the promised outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And with it, a massive wave of salvation and the birth of the Christian church. All right here in this one chapter. This is the day that Jesus had promised throughout His ministry. And then He reaffirmed that promise after His resurrection. But we'll also see today that this is a promise that God had made long ago through the prophets. So that now, because of Acts chapter 2, because of Pentecost, the world is never the same. The world we live in now is not the same because of what we'll read this morning. Now, as a refresher, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He has taken away the sin of the world. And then just as He promised He would, after dying and after being buried, He rose again from the grave in victory. And then bringing his apostles together, Jesus, the risen Jesus, commissions them to be his witnesses, both there in Jerusalem, but also increasingly further out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascends to heaven, Acts chapter 1, reminding them of this promise. Not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Will come upon you. And so the 12 apostles, along with more than a hundred other disciples, they post up in Jerusalem, just as Jesus told them to do, praying and waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. It didn't take too long, about a week and a half. And here it is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent, rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit. Was giving them utterance. Now, there is so much happening just right there in these four verses. I want to try to draw some of this out, I hope, in a helpful way. Luke is careful up front to tell us a detail that is not insignificant. All of this, Luke says, happens on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a feast in which Jews from all over the known world, those who did not live in Jerusalem, would come back to Jerusalem to worship and make sacrifice. They also upheld the day of Pentecost as being the anniversary day from when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. Exodus nineteen twenty and, and so forth, right in there. Now, if you recall, we studied Exodus, I guess, last year. If you recall this very famous story from Exodus, Moses ascends the mountain, which is crowned, the mountain is topped, with smoke and flame, cloud. It's, it's the glory and the presence of God represented there at the peak of the mountain. Such a holy place that God commands no one but Moses can even touch the mountain. No man, no beast, nobody. Don't touch it. Because the place is so holy that in a sense is, is possessed by God's presence in this moment. Moses is allowed to ascend into the flame where he receives God's word, God's law, and then he comes back down to deliver it to the people. But even then, the people of Israel begged Moses to speak to God on their behalf. Don't let the Lord speak directly to us, the people said. Because the sense in them was that if the holiness of God should come down to them directly, they would die. That's how reverent this moment was. The flame of God's holiness and glory will consume us, Moses. Don't let that happen. Okay, with that background, on the day of Pentecost, think about what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. There came a noise from heaven like the sound of a violent rushing wind. This is the sound of God's very Spirit announcing the arrival of God's manifest presence. Unmistakable. And then there appeared to them, these 120 or so disciples, tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. Now, at Mount Sinai, one man, Moses, ascends into the flame of God's presence to receive God's word and then comes down to speak it to the many. But here in Acts... The flame of God's holy presence descends down. His holy presence, His Spirit comes down, not upon one, but upon the many. And they all begin to speak the words of God. You see it again in verse 4? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, y'all, before we go any further here, I hope we see a very precious uh, facet of the gospel on display in the early parts of this chapter. How is it that the holy flame of God's presence and glory was so terrifying, so threatening to Israel, they couldn't bear it? And yet, here, Acts chapter 2, the holy presence of God comes down and rests on the disciples. What makes the difference there? Well, the difference is Jesus. You know, Jesus has come, the scripture tells us. Jesus came as the Holy One of God. Even the demons confessed his identity. The Holy One of God. And the Holy One was treated in a very unholy way. He went to a cross where He was nailed down, but the Scripture tells us that the intentional work of God was to take the Holy One and for Him to suffer for the sins of the unholy. He bore the penalty and punishment for our unrighteousness so that now by faith in Him, we stand justified before god god no longer defines us by our sins but we are as the old hymn says we are dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before his throne that's what jesus christ has accomplished for us so that we are no longer unholy in god's sight but we are holy because the holy one has taken our place Therefore, the Holy Spirit of God is not a threat to the disciples in Acts chapter 2. He's a gift. He comes down to fill them rather than to consume them. In a punitive way, He consumes them with blessing and power because they have received the Savior Jesus Christ. And so when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit something miraculous happens. In this case, it's miraculous speech. And this is, y'all, this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen back in chapter 1. We saw this, I guess, two weeks ago. Jesus promised before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will share me with the world. And that's what's happening by God's miraculous grace here. Look at verse 5 now. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, Luke tells us, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. Now, y'all, imagine witnessing this amazing scene and concluding that these 120 people, they're probably just drunk. It's a good reminder, though. Uh, there are there have always been mockers of God's work and God's word and of God's people. That hasn't changed, and it never will. Uh, so we just need to be emboldened by that reminder. It's always been the case. We shouldn't be surprised. But now there, they might have actually been onto something here, at least by perception, because I I, I want you, I never thought about this. I, I heard another pastor mention this, and it, it occurred to me, why would they think these people were drunk? Well think about this. When a person is drunk, they're consumed with alcohol. That person will typically get very bold in their speech, right? And maybe even giddy in their behavior because alcohol is a depressant. It depresses our sense of of inhibition. We lose a sense of what we are and we become unconcerned with how our behavior might be perceived by other people. We don't really think about it anymore because we're controlled by a substance. Well, y'all, it's fair to say that the disciples here are controlled, not by a substance, of course, but by the Spirit. And so they, they don't match any other category that people might have for them in this moment. They're giddy. They're bold. It's hard to explain. And y'all, think about this. These are people, these disciples, they are living right now under a real threat of persecution. To be associated with Jesus was a very negative, harmful potential here for them. only a few weeks after His death. Uh, It's it's believed that a lot of times the the disciples in those 40 days between, that they were actually hiding out in the upper room because they didn't want to be seen in public. They had a target on their back. And yet right here, the Spirit comes, and and what, what happens? When the Spirit takes control, there is absolute boldness and openness and loud proclamation, not a hint of fear any longer for them. Because a real miracle has taken place. And so we have this great crowd, Luke tells us, of Jewish people hailing from every nation, basically, around the known world at that time. And these 120 Galilean disciples of Jesus are all at once proclaiming God's Word to them in their own distinct language and dialect. Luke tells us the Holy Spirit has filled the disciples, the Spirit has given them utterance, and the outcome is that each of them is speaking, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in every human language known to the Jews. Now, in this case, when we talk about speaking in tongues, there's a great you know, rabbit trail potentially we're not going to take today. In this case, Acts chapter 2, it's very clear what's happening. This, this is not ecstatic uh, language that can't be understood. This is actual human language. That the disciples could not have known. These Galileans, they wouldn't have known these languages. And yet, miraculously, they are fluent. They are speaking them. Because there is an outpouring of God's divine power on display here. This is the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, we don't always give out homework around here, but I'm going to give you a little homework today. Take five minutes, that's all it will take, and read Ezekiel chapter 37. It's actually a story that you're probably familiar with if you've been around church. It's the account of the prophet Ezekiel being led by God into a valley filled with dead men's bones. The valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, Can these bones live? Then God tells Ezekiel, Prophesy to the bones. And as he does... The bones begin to reform. They take on flesh and blood again as real human bodies, but they still have no life in them. And then God says, Ezekiel, prophesy to the four winds so that breath, the breath of life, may come into them. And as Ezekiel does, God brings life and breath back to the dead. Then the Lord promises... That he will do just this for all of Israel when one day he puts his spirit in them. Now, think again about what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2. The mighty rushing wind comes upon them, the spirit of life. And when he does, the people begin to speak the words of life so that all can hear the mighty deeds of God. That is the gospel of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And spiritual death is now taking on new life because the Spirit is being poured out. Naturally, the people who are witnessing this in real time, they don't know what's going on. And so they ask this most natural and obvious question, what does this mean? They're perplexed. And this allows the perfect opportunity now for the Apostle Peter. Remember, the same Peter who, as a coward, denied his Savior but is now as bold as a lion when the, when the Spirit is poured upon him. Peter gets up. And what, we're just going to see the first portion of this sermon today. We'll continue it next week. But Peter's going to explain to them and to us that what they're witnessing is actually the long-awaited fulfillment of God's promise here. So look at verse 14 now. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now Peter, we're told, is quoting here from Joel. It's chapter 2. Y'all, this is a promise that all of these Jews would have known and treasured. This was not new information to them. This was a long awaited hope. All their hopes were pinned on this promise of God's Spirit being poured out in the last days. Now, what they don't realize yet, the crowd, is what Peter is now telling them that the last days are here, they have begun. Y'all, what the Bible calls the last days, we saw this also in 1 John last year, the last days are a period of time inaugurated by Jesus through His death and resurrection, and these days that we're now living in will be completed at His glorious return. And so I just want to mention this briefly. What Peter is saying is that the fulfillment of this promise is just now beginning. It doesn't happen all at once immediately. Not everything condensed into one moment, but it's the introduction of an age, a period of time. So Peter's not saying to the crowd, hey guys, the Spirit just came and you just missed Him. Sorry. No, what he's saying is the time of the Spirit is now upon us. It's here. And the Spirit is going to be revealed in many ways, some present, some future, some very personal some very cosmic. But this is the age in which we now live until the days are completed when Jesus comes back, when He returns. So, Peter says, what God promised through Joel, you are now witnessing with your own eyes and with your own ears. He has poured forth His Spirit upon us. And this is just the beginning. God's promise, remember what He said? I will pour out My Spirit upon all mankind. And this is a promise that I think is much more radical than maybe we recognize here. I don't think it would have been lost on the people in Acts chapter 2. The amazing work of God. Uh, our ladies, several of our ladies, were at the Poured Out Conference at Broadmoor this past weekend. Y'all are better versed in this than I am. Okay, so come correct me when I'm, what, I, what I'm about to say. Y'all studied the Spirit all weekend. Listen. I'm speaking very generally here, but if you read through the Old Testament, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, generally speaking, the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament would come and go. There wasn't as much a sense of permanence with the work of the Spirit. He didn't typically fill people in a permanent nature, nor did the Spirit come upon everyone But usually God's Spirit was endowed upon prophets, priests, kings, people who had a special purpose to serve because God was going to accomplish specific things through specific people, His chosen instruments. Now, the Spirit of God is present and active all throughout the Old Testament, but not quite as obvious or permanent or widespread. But now, Acts chapter 2, the fulfillment of the promise is at hand. God is pouring out His Spirit upon whom? A chosen few? Here and there? No, the promise now is here. Lavish, permanent, widespread spirit on all kinds of people, the Scripture says. So look at the middle of verse 17 again. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's one of the outcomes of the Spirit, one of the evidences. Then verse 18. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I shall pour forth... Of my spirit. Now this is amazing. When we consider the cultural religious realities of the ancient world, including Israel, we don't have to like it to acknowledge that it was true, that men were elevated much higher than women. They weren't even in the same category. And bond slaves you're talking about servants, they were far beneath everybody else. that there was a very clear hierarchy of social, religious valuation. It's just the way the world was. And yet notice what God is saying right here. Everyone will receive the Spirit, verse 21. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Which means the divine, powerful Spirit of God is going to be given to everyone who receives Christ without distinction and without measure. Which means both men and women, both sons and daughters, bond slaves, There's not going to be a sense of the haves and the haves nots when it comes to the outpouring of God's Spirit. Everyone who trusts in Christ will be given equal footing at the cross of Christ. That's why Paul, many years uh, later, would say that in Christ there is no male or female, no slave or free, no Jew or Gentile. Why not? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what the Spirit produces. A great sense of equality and level of ground. He's going to pour out His Spirit on all mankind. Now, something we don't see quite as clearly yet, but we will, is that this is going to spread beyond the Jews and to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus had in mind when He said, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the earth, everybody, Jew and Gentile, we're Gentiles, that means us too, everybody's going to hear of the grace of Jesus Christ and receive the Spirit by faith. And y'all, this is just something amazing that I think this Acts 2 hints at that wasn't quite as clear yet. But since we know the end of the story, we can see it. What's the significance of the Spirit descending upon the people, each one distributing a tongue and speaking all these various languages? The people in the crowd would have known Aramaic and Greek at least. Why couldn't they have just spoken those languages? But we're being given an insight here into what's coming. That the proclamation of the gospel is going to go out to everybody, every language. What what God is doing in Acts 2 is not a divine parlor trick. He's not just showing off, He's showing us something about His heart and His purpose that His grace is for the world. There is only one Savior, Jesus, but His salvation is for all mankind. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation is meant to hear the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing? That's why any of us are here right now. If all of this had been limited to Jerusalem, then it would have never come to Ridgeland. And yet here we are because God had a purpose for everyone. Now, there's an application I hope for us to make in this today. Y'all, when we, when we look at a scripture, we can't help but do this. Maybe you've done this before. If you read through Acts, we look at something like this and we say, wow, amazing. But then we get this, this little sense of why doesn't this kind of stuff still happen today? I mean, wh- why have I never personally experienced the outpouring of the Spirit quite like this? I've never spoken in a different language. You know, I've never experienced this kind of ecstatic tongue of fire or anything, even close perhaps. Uh, well, Well, I want to give us a very brief point of clarification first, but then I hope what for us is also a very strong point of application. So to clarify, y'all, what happens right here at Pentecost is unique. And that's not a cop-out. What, what God is doing at Pentecost, He's achieving a special purpose. And we don't see anything quite like this again in the Scripture, not in Acts or anywhere else, nothing quite like this. The Spirit acts in other ways, miraculous ways, fantastic ways, but never again quite like we see here. Because the Spirit oftentimes will work in unique ways that are not meant to be repeatable. And so when we talk about manifestations of the Spirit, yes, some are spectacular. And I'm a believer that the Spirit does spectacular things today, whether we realize it or not. Perhaps we've seen things that we can attest to. Most often in the Scripture and in our experience, I believe the Spirit works more subtly. And y'all, we, I, I won't belabor this point, but when, when the Apostle Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, do you remember the things he speaks of? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of those things are spectacular. And they're not meant to be. But they are transforming. They are life-changing. And therefore, they are just as miraculous. And so we shouldn't think that the Spirit only works in spectacular ways. In that case, we diminish, I think, most of what the Spirit does. And, y'all, you should never think that if I've never experienced something like this, well, there must be something wrong with me. Why don't I have as much faith as they had? Don't come to that conclusion. I just believe that's false. The Spirit, Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. He blows wherever he wishes where he comes from, we don't know. Where he's going, we don't know. That's a lot of times how it works. The disciples in Acts 2, they didn't know what to expect. It just came upon them, right? They weren't looking for something spectacular, perhaps. And they didn't repeat it. And so we shouldn't expect that things like this must happen in order for us to be a real spiritual church or a person. Don't, don't hold yourself to that unnecessary burden. The Spirit works in all kinds of ways. And here's the application, then because all who call upon the name name of the Lord are saved, meaning everyone who has received Christ by faith also receives His Spirit, and therefore there's something for us to do, to to imitate. When the disciples, y'all notice this, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, they began to do something. Well, yeah, they spoke in tongues, yes, okay, but what were they saying? Luke tells us they were declaring the mighty deeds of God. And this is what the Spirit was producing there. That both men and women, both apostles and bondservants, all of them were declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you think this way, but you should. Whenever you or I, whenever we share Jesus with another person, we are participating in a divine and powerful work of God the grace that has been given to the apostles in Acts 2 is the very same grace that's given to us even if it manifests differently. It's the same gift that when we share Jesus with other people we are engaging in the power of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthians, I didn't share the gospel with you in persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of of God, I don't think that means that Paul went around doing magic tricks. I think Paul really believed that when he proclaimed the gospel, the Spirit was at work with power. And if it was, then that means it is for us too. That we have been entrusted with the Spirit to share the mighty deeds of God, the gospel, with others. And when we do, the Spirit is present and working, and the Spirit can bring life to those who are dead in the same way that He has for us. Now, that may look for you and me very ordinary compared to what we've seen this morning, but I assure you it isn't. When the Lord speaks His grace through us, and when others hear and receive Him, that's the greatest miracle there is. And therefore, to be a Christian right now is to be a faithful witness of Jesus to those around us, just as they were in Acts chapter 2. We declare the mighty deeds of God, just as they did in Acts chapter 2. We rely on the saving power of the Spirit, just as they did. See, Pentecost opened the door to a new world, in a sense, didn't it? A world of vibrant color, a world where the Spirit of God is poured out on those who turn to Jesus in faith. And if that has been done for us, if we have entered in by God's grace, then we ought now to be unashamed to live in it, to walk in His grace. And that means just as the first disciples did, we declare His mighty deeds, the same grace that saved me, can save you. Let me tell you all about him. It doesn't matter what language you speak in that case. Jesus Christ is present. His spirit is working. We can plant, Paul says, we can water, but only God causes the growth. And for that we say, amen. Let's pray. And church family, as we pray, I want to encourage us to respond We'll have here in a moment, or even now, Aaron and Evan will stand at the back of the room while we're praying and singing. If the Lord might lead you to respond, to ask for prayer, to ask for help, to talk about salvation. We would love to take your hand and pray with you this morning. Father God, would you make it so clear to us that, Lord, the outpouring of your Spirit has not only come at Pentecost, but by faith, Lord, we've experienced it too. And Father, if it hasn't happened in exactly the same way and circumstance, Father, I pray that we would not diminish in ourselves the miraculous work you have done and are doing now. Lord, if we possess your Spirit who dwells in us, then, Father, right now we have all the good fruit and grace of the Spirit. We have a power that that is beyond our reckoning and our manufacturing. Lord, we have your very presence within us. And, Father, I ask this morning that you would put in us, therefore, uh, a sense of what the disciples experienced on this great day, boldness, joy, giddiness perhaps, a deep sense of of being unashamed and unafraid because they were filled with your spirit and they could not keep quiet about the mighty deeds of God, the saving grace of Jesus. Lord, would you grant us as a church this morning and would you just as, as individuals this morning Father, um, if we have not received the Spirit by faith, Father, I pray that we would see in this no magic, no manipulation. Lord, may we look to Jesus Christ as those who on our own are unholy and unrighteous and we cannot save ourselves, that we would see Jesus, the Holy One, nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, bearing the penalty of our unholiness, that we may be made right before you, that we may stand before you as your children, not as your enemies. And Father, if we receive him, if we trust in him, then we receive the Spirit. And Lord, with the Spirit, we receive so many wonderful, vibrant delightful new realities including i pray boldness lord show us what it is to receive your grace and to share it lord unashamed just as we witness in acts chapter 2 lord thank you that your grace is such your spirit is such that both men and women both slave and free, rich and poor, black and white. Lord, any such distinctions we might make, Father, are destroyed by the pouring out of your Spirit upon us. Father, all of us may know you and receive you. All of us, Lord, are now your witnesses. Thank you. Lord, embolden us this morning as we stand and sing in Christ's name. Amen.